Good morning. Happy Easter. He is risen. I love this day. It is a great day. We can celebrate uh, the resurrected Lord uh, in a way that we, we, we do every week, but in a, in a unique and specific way on this day, this happy Easter day. And so we're going to do that this morning by spending time looking at Jesus through the lens of the Gospel of Matthew. We, uh, last week, we looked at uh, Jesus as the great King, the Lord of all, as he entered into Jerusalem. And this week, we're going to look at his power, his might the Son of God who rose again from the dead. We're going to be looking at Matthew uh, chapter 27, verses 45, all the way uh, to the end of chapter 28. We're going to read it all. We're not going to look at every little bit of it. Um, uh, but it's, it's, the, it's the story of Easter, all wrapped up there at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, it gives us a chance to kind of delve down into these, very vin- these vignettes. One of the things about, just as an aside, about Matthew... Uh, and this is true of all the gospel writers, is they kind of they ramp up to this point. Everything is moving in their gospel writing to this moment. And as they approach the cross and the tomb, they slow down. They want us to, to meditate and to soak in all the events surrounding the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And so we're going to slow down and look at some of the vignettes, some of the, the pieces of the story. Uh, so with that, we'll read the whole thing. Um, and looking at certain aspects of it. Matthew 27, verses 45 to 66. It's found for you in your bulletins. And and chapter 28, verses 1 to 20. Hear God's word. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthanis. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders, hearing it, said, This man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with some sour wine, and put it on the reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, Wait, let's see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, This is the Son of God. There were also many women there, looking on from a distance, who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his his own new tomb, which he had cut out, cut into the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how the imposter said, While he was still alive, 
After three days I will rise, I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people, He is risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse, worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee, where you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings! And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him... They worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The word of the Lord. Pray, Heavenly Father, help us to understand your word, help us to worship uh, at your feet, to rejoice in you, our resurrected Lord, in whom we have life. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. As I was, as I was saying in, in each of the Gospels, uh, the resurrection of Jesus is the focal point, or the culmination, and he's, Matthew's been building to this point, and he's, he's come to this place, and he's painting this glorious picture of Christ as the Son of God and Savior of the world. And he means for us to linger over each of the parts of this story and to contemplate, to sit there and, and dwell on this person, Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, because he lived and he died and he rose again from the dead. And we come this week... Like every week, we come to worship Jesus. That's why we're here. That's why we gather. We come to worship Jesus week in and week out to savor him, to to show our love for him, to receive from him grace and peace. And yet, 
And yet, I think that there is a tendency in all of us to take Jesus for granted. To not marvel, right? I, think that, I mean, this is just normal. We hear this week in and week out. Yeah, Jesus rose again from the dead and he died for my sins. What's cooking for Easter dinner? That's what I want to savor, right? right? That's what we're, our brains are thinking. And I'm the same way. But the text defies this mentality. It is so spectacular and so strange and wonderful that it begs us to, to stay in it and to, and to dwell on it and to say, wait, what was that? What did it just say about dead bodies coming out of the graves? And wait, what's going on here? That really happened? That's crazy. That's marvelous. Who is this Jesus? Truly he is the Son of God. And that's our aim this morning, that simply, that we would just dwell on Jesus, uh, that we would marvel at the risen and reigning Son of God, and we'll linger at various places. We won't look at everything, but we'll linger at various places. So the first place that, that I want to linger this morning is the darkness of death, the darkness of the death of the Son of God. I know, it's a little strange to preach death. Of, and the death of Jesus on Easter Sunday. After all, this is Resurrection Day. Good Friday was a few days ago. Um, and we're going to get there. We're going to get to the resurrection. But these two things, the, the death, the cross, and the resurrection, are so inextricably linked that we can't leave one without the other. We, we just can't do it. We can't understand it fully. And um, So we'll spend just a, a minute or so, a couple minutes here on the cross. We'll look at Jesus, the Son of God, hanging there. For even in the ignominy of the cross, we can marvel, right? We can marvel at this man, this God-man. And the first thing that we note from the text is that there is darkness, right? That's at the very outset of our text. It's the very first thing that's noted. Now, from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land. That's an interesting thing. And people have wondered at it. What was going on? Was there an eclipse? Uh, was it a thick cloud cover? And, and I, as I was thinking about all these sort of ways we try to think naturalistically about what was going on and try to explain it, um, I think there's something about us that wants to explain it naturally. Because when we do that, when we say, oh, well, maybe it was just a big storm cloud or thunder cloud, uh, it becomes more manageable, more safe, safer feel safe. It's less scary. But this was neither a naturally occurring eclipse nor some dark brooding storm. And we know this uh, for lots of reasons, and I don't want to go into them. But one thing that we note is in the Gospel of Luke, Luke adds this little note. He says, the sunlight failed. The sunlight failed. It was a divine darkness. A heavenly pall that was cast over the whole land. Why? Why? Why this pall? Why this darkness? Because the Lord of glory, the Son of God, was dying. But it goes much deeper than that, doesn't it? Because Jesus hung on the cross as the sun was being snuffed out, so to speak, on account of our sin. 
The darkness was not just an absence of the sun's rays. It was the shroud of sin and guilt that covered the whole world. It was the, the spiritual breaking into the physical world. It was, it was meant to be a picture of the natural effect of sin and fall on the world. The sun itself, the light of the world was being snuffed out. And in that last hour of darkness, Jesus cried out to his father, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The agony of his death cannot be compared. It cannot be reenacted. There is no death like this. For in this moment of darkness and death, the father poured out his wrath for us on him. Darkness and death swallowed Jesus. And Jesus cried out and yielded up his spirit. He died the death we deserved. Rob, today is Easter. We're all here in our bright shining faces and our pretty dresses and our wonderful suits and our ties. And we are here to celebrate life. You are bringing us back to Good Friday. I know. I know. But they're linked. Easter means nothing without Good Friday, nothing without the cross. And don't worry, Matthew starts hinting at Easter. Even now in our text, even before we get to the resurrection point, even here he starts hinting at Easter. And that brings me to the second thing I want to linger on. And that is the penultimate, right? The second to last. That's the penultimate just means the second to last. The penultimate earth-shattering, death-defying power of the Son of God. That's a lot, right? Okay. It's a a lot of words, but this earth-shattering, death-defying power of God is on display, but it's it's the second-to-last penalty. It's the penultimate of it. We'll get to the ultimate in just a minute, Uh, but we're going to linger on this. When Jesus died, it was not a peaceful thing. I think we want death. To be peaceful. No one wants an agonizing death, right? Nobody wants a painful death. But the reality is, death is not peaceful. No matter the manner one dies, no matter how they go, so to speak, we even use all these euphemisms to just kind of soften, soften it up a bit. Death is not peaceful. It is the traumatic finale of the ravages of sin and the punishment for our rebellion. Death is not a peaceful thing. But when Jesus died, he was conquering death, right? So there was, a, there was sort of this added, uh, uh, um, how do you want to put it? There was this sort of added uh, non-peaceful word for that, sort of confliction going a conflict going on when Jesus died he was conquering death so in that divine blow against death three spectacular and awesome things occurred that were a foretaste 
of what was to come. Three spectacular and awesome things. First, the curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom. Second, the earth shook and the rocks split in two. The very, the very foundations of the earth were shaking. And thirdly, the dead came to life. <laughs> it's hard to imagine this moment. I'll try to kind of think about it for a few minutes to dwell on it. Um, imagine being the priests and the Levites, right? They're preparing they're rejoicing, of course, that the, this rabble-rouser Jesus is dead or dying. And they're, they're in the, the, the temple preparing for the Sabbath on this high, holy holiday. Uh, and they are probably next to the, that inner sanctum, next to that curtain that was between the holy place and the holy of holies that no one could enter save the, the high priest once a year. And then all of a sudden, from top to bottom, that great tapestry was torn in two. And the Holy of Holies was uncovered and open to anyone. And isn't that the point? Jesus, the Son of God and our High Priest, was giving us access to the Father, to the throne of grace, to the mercy seat, that That veil was taken apart so that through Jesus we might have access. The second thing that we notice is as Jesus cried out, not only was the light of the sun restored, the ninth hour, the sun sun came back, but the very pillars of the earth were being shaken and transformed and uh, broken. In this wondrous moment, the earth shook and the stone shattered. The very foundations of the earth were responding to their creator king as he began this process of restoration. And then in the midst of that, the tombs gave up their dead. This is the most strange thing that happened that day. Now, it wasn't the most spectacular. It wasn't the most amazing. For that was the death of Christ on that day when he died and gave his life for us. And he took upon himself the wrath and curse. Uh, But the strangest thing that happened that day was the opening of those tombs. And the dead, the holy ones, the saints coming out. As the rock split and the earth shook, the tombs opened up. And the dead were raised. This morning in Sunday school, uh, we read uh, from Ezekiel, an ancient uh, uh, prophet uh, from the period of the exile who was prophesying to the people in exile. Uh, he, he, he prophesied to Ezekiel and said to Ezekiel, go out to this valley of dry bones and speak to these bones and tell them to live, basically. Speak to them for the spirit to enter in. And sure enough, the bones wake up. And we looked at this in Sunday school and how all the, 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 the sinews came on to those bones. And the bones rattled together. And then there was skin. It's a very graphic picture. And then the bodies were there, but there was no life. And so Ezekiel, uh, the prophet, was told to speak to, the, to these bodies without life and say, Spirit, breathe into these bodies. And bring life. And then before them stood this grand army. And, said, and the Lord said, this is Israel. I am breathing life into Israel. And then he says these words. Verse 12 of chapter 37 in Ezekiel. Therefore prophesy and say to them, 
Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. That day when Jesus breathed his last and the the graves opened up and those people came out with life, the prophet Ezekiel's words were coming fruition in a spectacular way. But it also brings up all sorts of questions, doesn't it? Like, uh, who was raised? Who are these holy ones? Text doesn't tell us. Were they famous saints of old or were they the poor, the widow, the orphan? We aren't told. Were they raised glorified like Jesus? Or were they raised like Lazarus who came back to his normal state and then had to die again? Or were they raised with a glorious body and then translated into glory. Um, I don't know. I tend to lean towards that picture because we, hear, we don't hear much of them afterwards. So they go into Jerusalem, which is another thing. Who, uh, how long did they stick around? Well, we know they went into Jerusalem to the holy city and, and met with people. Said, I was dead and I'm now alive. You can't imagine, can you? And then I envisioned that maybe they were transformed and taken up like Elijah or like Enoch to be with the Lord. There's a second thing about this little event is that it's kind of creepy. A little bit? I, I think, I think we, we have in our minds the zombie apocalypse, such a popular uh, theme, right? I mean, in, in our American culture. <laughs> no, it is funny, but like that's it's just a it's a picture that we get. And I wonder why culturally. I wonder why culturally we view resurrection almost exclusively in these negative terms. Like in this weird kind of grotesque half-life, half-dead thing when the bodies come out. Like that's just grotesque. Why do we do that? Resurrection in Scripture is always positive. It is a joyful thing, a reunion, not some terrible plague-like event. And I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, maybe our culture's obsession with zombies reveals something of our hearts and our fears and our worries about death and the afterlife and what it means. And the answer to our worries and our fears and our doubts and all of our anxieties over, over what comes next is answered here in the gospel. As we look at this marvelous event, the dead are alive, are raised up. Not with half-life, but with full life, glorious life. I can't help As I think about this event, as Jesus gave up his breath, I can't help but think and echo the words of that war-hardened Roman centurion who was filled with awe, and he said, truly, this was the Son of God. The dead are alive, the earth has shaken, and we have access to our Heavenly Father and the throne of grace. Well, we aren't even to the resurrection yet, are we? And as spectacular and strange as the events of Friday were, they were penultimate. 
They were second to last. They were not the ultimate. So let's turn to the ultimate thing. The earth-shattering, death-defying power of the Son of God in the resurrection. After Jesus was buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, a wealthy disciple who gave his tomb for the Lord, uh, we read an account of the continued paranoia of the chief priests. (laughs) Interestingly, they understood Jesus when he said that he would rise again on the third day. And so they asked Pilate for some guards to guard the tomb. It's interesting, Pilate. You know, we didn't get a chance to spend much time um, with Joseph of Arimathea and the women who came to that. We'll come to the women in just a minute. But um, when they came to get the body, Joseph went to Pilate and said, can, can we have the body? And Pilate was, sure, go ahead. It's all yours. And then when the Jewish authorities come and they say, can we have some guards to guard the tomb for the body that, was just, that you just gave up to be buried? He's like, sure, go ahead. Uh, You kind of wonder if Pilate was just sitting there thinking, what a crazy day. (laughs) Who are these people? Uh, You know, he's kind of, he probably was preparing to write a a memoir at some point. My life amongst the Jewish people. Uh, Make a killing, I guess, but... But Pilate was happy to give the body, and he was happy to give uh, these guards. And, you know, the, 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 the Jewish leaders were essentially saying, we think that his disciples will come, they'll feign this resurrection on the third day, and they'll steal the body, and we don't want that to happen. But I kind of wonder, after everything that had transpired, if they didn't start to think this resurrection thing might be for real. And they were going to do everything in their power to stop it. So the guards sealed the tomb, and they stood by it waiting for Jesus' disciples to cause a disturbance. Right? There are the guards, centurions, Roman guards, waiting for this rabble of disciples to come and try to sneak the body away. That disturbance didn't come. They got a different disturbance. After the Sabbath, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, likely Mary the mother of James and Joseph, or as other gospel writers put it, Joseph, um, They were headed to the tomb in hopes of anointing Jesus' body. Just as as an aside about the women in in the account of the cross and the resurrection. We know the disciples fled. They all went and scattered. Peter formally denies Jesus three times, but all the disciples fled, right? Not so the women. The women were there at the cross... Jesus spoke to them. Seems like the beloved disciple was also there, but the women hung around and watched as their beloved Jesus was crucified. The women were also the ones to go get the body and to prepare it for burial. With Joseph of Arimathea, they're the ones that took the body and put it in the tomb. 
And so I think it is fitting and right that they would be the ones to go and see the risen Lord first. That they would go to the tomb. Of course, they thought they were going to anoint this body according to custom. And as they're headed there in the wee hours of the morning, they headed to the tomb in hopes of anointing Jesus' body. This disturbance happened. There was another earthquake. Man, uh, a lot of earthquakes. In the Greek, uh, this earthquake is even greater. It's called uh, the Great Earthquake. Seismus Megas. The Mega Seismus. I can't even say the word. Uh, the, the mega earthquake, the great earthquake. Um, I, I've only experienced one earthquake in my life, and it was barely anything. I was, I just felt something weird, and then I looked it up, and sure enough, there was, was a little rumble. Maybe you guys have lived in places where earthquakes are more common. But I, of course, remember the news accounts over the years in places like way back in San Francisco, but in more recent history, places like Haiti and Indonesia and Japan. And they were devastating. And it's hard to even imagine being in a place where there's nowhere you can run or hide because the very ground under you everywhere is shaking. There isn't like you can go and get away from it. It would be one of the scariest things you can possibly go through. Well, in this very hyper-localized seismos megas, in this very, very local earthquake, great earthquake, An angel from heaven came down and rolled away the stone. Not only did the earth shake, not only was there this rumble below them, but the guards were confronted with a being robed in light as bright as lightning who took that giant stone and treated it like a pebble and moved it aside and stood on top of it. And in their terror and fear, uh, these guards, these men trained for battle, these warriors, were frightened to death. In fact, we're told that they might have even feigned death in order to survive. That's kind of the language you get. Like a possum, they rolled over. And just on their backs. That's the image I have. I don't know if that's what it was. And as the women approached, the angel cried out, Do not be afraid, like these men over here. These warriors over here, don't be like them. Don't be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. What have you told us? The glorious news of the resurrection, I have proclaimed it to you. The grave could not hold back Jesus. Death had no power over him. It's an interesting thing because death has lots of power over us, doesn't it? Who can escape it? Even the fear of death keeps us from all sorts of dangerous activities, or at least it should. Um, When I think of my own mortality, you you get into this mind and you think, wow, I could die. I get palpitations, right? You start to get a little anxious. Death 
naturally causes us to fear. But death had no power over Jesus. He had power over death. And he rose again from the dead. Death wasn't to be feared. He was the one to be feared. The one in whom we wonder and before whom we tremble with awe. That that is this Jesus, this Lord, the one who broke death itself. The The women rushed away, as they were told. And it says they rushed with fear and with joy. It was a markedly different fear from those guards who felt as though they would die. These women were full of awe and wonder because they knew that they would live. This Jesus was their Lord, their Savior. And so they met Jesus on the way. And they did the only thing that makes sense. They bowed down, grasping his gloriously resurrected feet, and they worshiped him. Who is Jesus? Heaven and earth tremble before the resurrected Lord. Who is this Jesus who at his death and through his resurrection, our death is vanquished? We read earlier from that glorious passage, Oh, in Corinthians, O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Who is this Jesus? Truly, He is the Son of God. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.